Ah, oh, Brando. How's how's that coffee? Well, it's not as loud as yours. <laughs> oh, that is that is delicious. That is good coffee. That is from the Abyss Coffee Company. The Abyss Coffee Company. They're local, uh, aren't they? Semi local. Yeah, they're a, they're a Michigan. Yeah, Michigan coffee out of like old over uh, by Lansing area. This is uh, some of the Great Lakes Great Responsibility roast that they were doing for. Uh, for our Great Lakes company that I'm a board member of. But you, you are very modest and not bragging right now. <laughs> I am um, the lead two by four of this board. <laughs> you're, the t- <laughs> you're the chief assistant to the assistant of the board member's assistant. But hey, they're also a new sponsor. And a little new partnership with these guys and the Great Dive Podcast. How about that, people? Boy, oh boy. These sponsorships are coming in out of the woodwork, man. What happened? What happened? They got a, they've got a lot of cool flavors of coffee. Let's not it's for- a really cool company. Let's All- not forget our roots, James. Let's not yeah. forget our roots. Well, coffee is one of our roots. The it four sure main is. food the four main Great Dive Podcast food groups. <laughs> But yeah, she's got some uh, pretty sweet roasts like the Kraken and the Megalodon and the Calypso and the Hydra. Um, go over there and order some coffee, people. TheAbyssCoffeeCo.com. And you can put in when you order code TGDP and uh, save yourself a little money. Nice. And let them know that uh, you heard about them from the Great Time Podcast. That's awesome. And while we're talking about sponsorships, we should talk about uh, that other one that we're working with manscaped you know um it's dive season people and you know we talk a lot about using that performance package and cleaning your balls up and getting ready for diving and hooking up that condom catheter but there is one time i'm going to tell you that you don't want to use your manscaped products or at least all of them you know cleaning up brando is important but you know, when you, uh, you know, squirt a couple, uh, you know, drops of that crop preserver ball <laughs> deodorant uh, aftershave, you know, lotion down there. You got to be careful, people. You spilled your beer. I spilled my goddamn I mean, coffee. your coffee. I coffee. <laughs> I'm all excited about my, my crop preserver. <laughs> spilled my coffee. But yes, because, you know, that condom catheter needs that stickiness of that glue. In order for it to connect, so if you uh, you know are all excited to use your official new Great Dive Podcast sponsored Manscaped lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, and then you take a couple of squirts of your crop preserver Manscaped uh, ball deodorant anti chafing formula down there, the condom catheter is not going to stick because you're going to be too uh, lubed up and lotioned up, and you're going to pee that thing right off. So you got to be careful out there, people. When you're using your Manscaped products. You're going to piss it off. Right. Don't do that. Literally. Don't do that. Hey, don't forget, uh, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP over at Manscaped.com. Brando, that's 20% off of your whole order. And free shipping. Jesus. They're almost giving it to you. These people need to unlock their confidence. All you listeners out there. And remember to always use the right tool for the job with your Manscaped products. Use code TGDP. 
That's TGDP. Now, is it time, Brando, to get back to the color of fear? The color of fear. I thought it was yellow. I I thought that boy was yellow for a minute. Except when you're in the deep blue, that yellow looks green. And that's one of the first colors to go. Depending on how deep you are, you'll never know the person's afraid. So we last left off last week talking about old Robert Rossier's article in Dive Training Magazine. Looking at anxiety and those, remember those primal fears that we were talking about last week. Right. And we got a little uh, science and nerdy, you know, you know, talking about the old brain, the, the, the basics of brain function. I was, I was pretty impressed with myself about how scholarly and <laughs> me- medically, uh, medically literate we sounded. Yeah. Well, you are, you are just reading. <laughs> and don't forget that. You're starting to sound like the, the talking heads on the news who think they, they've got a, they've, they're the ones that know all the answers. You're like, you're just reading. I'm not using a teleprompter or anything. Well, kind of. You kind of are. <laughs> Aren't you? <laughs> Aren't we? Come on. I'm Come actually on. reading. <laughs> well, that's why. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's look more into this brain thing. Because I think we need it. I think we need it. Well, uh, you know, it, it's something that, you know, I was talking with my wife about. She's like, this sounds like a great episode. I, you know, I, I need to listen to this one. You know, because she gets spooked a lot of yeah. times. One, one of the reasons is she doesn't dive that often. And she's a, she's a really good diver, but she's super nervous, you know, those first couple of dives. Right. She's trying to get back into the swing. Oh, I get that. I mean, I uh, if you are not familiar with, and when I mean familiar, meaning recently familiar with your equipment, you're nervous about that. The confidence in it is not there. You know, you the confidence comes from using using it and and being in the water a lot. Um, yeah, without that, it's like going through a new experience each time, which is can be ner- nerve wracking. You know, so I get it. I get it. Yeah, because stresses can come from all different places on a dive, especially if you've been out of the water for a couple of months. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, this is an old, kind of a no-brainer. I mean, people, if you're not diving often, I think it's like anything. Say you, you're not driving a lot or you're not, um, I don't know, any activity where you're not doing it often um, and it takes a little bit of... Uh, Knowledge and familiarity with equipment, especially, and in an environment that is inhospitable to human life, right? Right, you yeah, know, you, <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. So when you just jump in the first, you know, first time, whether it's the first time you've done it in six months or you know a month, even you might have a little bit of nerves going. Yeah, and especially if you were not super, super confident, confidence when you, when you last left off. Yeah, confidence is huge. And again, we preach this all the time. Where do you get the confidence from? From competence, right? 
Am I right? Com- yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the confidence from being comfortable in the water. Well, yeah. Being, Comfort be- comes from the competence, though. Right. When you're good at it. Or, I mean, you, decent. Yeah, you've got you know yeah, to be, yeah, be competent and good with those skills. And then you're more comfortable. And the comfort, you know, the comfort comes from the confidence. So I, I, competence breeds, in my mind, confidence breeds, uh, or competence breeds confidence, which gives you comfort. You know, you take away the nerves. In my mind, being competent <laughs> makes you comfortable. Because. Which makes you more confident. Right. Well, I, I'm saying that confidence gives you comfort. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so, but then uh, you throw something in the mix, like uh, the water's 15, 20 degrees colder than, than what you've been, been used, used to diving. Oh, yeah. The, the cold in and of itself, well, what is the cold? It's discomfort. It's discomforting, right? So Right, which is going to take away from your comfort and competence with some of those skills and then and that awareness, right? Because I'm, I'm still trying to use the, the old suit that I always used, mm. but now I'm going to a new, colder, deeper environment trying to make that old one work so that I don't have to dump $500,000, $600,000 into the right piece of gear. $600,000? What, what are you buying? A, God, a golden rebreather? What's it's going on suit. over there? It's a, good suit. <laughs> it's a really good suit. It's spun. Rapunzel spun it out of gold. Um, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. And, and again, cold water, more gear, more bulk, uh, less movement, restrictions kind of thing. Y- you do start to <clears throat> become uncomfortable. And then yeah, or uh, nervous. The the water's rougher than you were hoping for it to be that day, right? You know, it's or one either. thing you know doing a shore dive, you know, where you can you know easily just you know wait it out or, or skip. But when you get out onto a boat and you're thirty minutes, hour hour and a half from shore, and that water's just a little yeah, a little little <clears throat> right on the edge of uh, of of tolerability, right? It, it's I can either work my way getting into the water where I'm a little uncomfortable or stay up on the boat for a couple of hours while everybody else is diving. You know, it's, it's boom. Now I've got a new stress that pops in into my brain. True. That, that if, you, if you haven't built that confidence up with, with regular practice, there's not enough room for that, that new stressor to come in. So it's, it's going to have to take from something. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's what it does. It takes your attention away. It takes takes your focus. But have you ever seen um, how someone's brain can, uh, their mind can take a small, a small little interference or a small annoyance and just enlarge it and keep rolling it up until uh, almost, you know, people, they get panicky. You can tell the physical signs of nervousness start to overwhelm them and it's just a small thing right (laughs) were you diving with patty and i last time (laughs) yeah no i've just seen it a million times though i mean that i know it 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 happens with with so many people that 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 stressor is like a snowball rolling down the hill yeah so uh, let me ask you this 
you have students that you're, you can see are visibly nervous about the first time in open water. Uh, what do you, do you do anything to help them with that? Not that this is part of our show really, but I think it's a, in other words, what makes the nervousness, anxiety d decrease? Are there things that you do for the students? Well, my routine is covering the basics in explicit detail, right? You're mm -hmm. going underwater. Go underwater you, is nice. You have to be able to <laughs> breathe, right? So, yeah, it's it's a matter of do I have the gas? You know, all those pre-dive checks that we're doing, right? You know, the way I do them, it's for my personal knowledge and ability to know 100% sure that all my gas is on, everything's open, everything's working. I don't do a pre-dive check that lets somebody else check it all for me and then I trust them to go, yep, well, you're good yeah. to go, right? So you square away a, a lot of that discomfort by running through that check right? or that, yeah, that checklist check, right. of, of sorts, right? So knowing that I'm in the water and, yes, I've confirmed that we have all the gas that we're supposed to have that everything is open and working the way it's supposed to work. Everybody's able to donate gas the way they're supposed to donate gas. Nobody has a leak behind them that they're, they're unaware of. We square all that stuff away before we even get going. I mean, you bring up a lot of great points that, you know, we can keep going deeper down this, this little path of getting ready for the dive. And you have unfamiliar equipment when you're renting. Um, yeah, yeah. Th that kind of thing. Or... Even when you, you you're somewhat familiar with the equipment, but you're renting it, do you trust it? Do you trust uh, that the the shop has kept it working well? And even a you know a quick pre dive check isn't isn't the same as owning your own gear and maintaining it and and knowing you know this this stuff's working well. Yeah. So I mean, all that stuff leads into a little bit of nervousness and fear creeping in. You know, when you're not when you're not fully sure of the equipment and the environment and and the team, even all those all those elements can uh, if they're not fully taken care of, snowball into uh, fear, panic, anxiety. Right, and there that's where we kind of left off last week is sitting right there on that edge of panic, the edge and of panic. I think uh, that's going to be the title of my autobiography. How many? How many autobiography? <laughs> how many autobiographies are you going to going to write? I, I, they're each they're going to be little chapters. So that's I should be putting these as chapters, but you know, whenever I hear a good little saying like that, I have to take note. Either it's the title of my autobiography, or in my next life, I'm starting a band like you did. And I'm going to call it the Edge of Panic. That's a great name for a band. It's not bad, is it? It's not no, bad. No, no, Edge of Panic. Uh, if we see the Edge of Panic uh, arise out of the blue, we need some credit. I, I saw Edge of Panic back in 82, <laughs> man. It was, it was wild. They were awesome. <laughs> Rossier says that as divers, we constantly experience a number of stressors that can be physical, physiological, and psychological in nature. And that's kind of like the stuff that we were just talking about with, right. you know, uh, having equipment issues and cold temperatures and uh, 
visibility issues and gas supply issues. All these different things can, you know, create these stressors on us when we're getting in the water. Yeah, and that psychological one, I always, to me, I've seen that, I think, more than anything else, where the people just kind of talk themselves into more and more anxiety. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, right, right. So uh, something that starts off as physical that we let manifest and continue to build and grow in our brain and it, so it mm-hmm. becomes psychological right or something that starts off as physiological like you know you're nearing a no decompression limit and you're you're nearing uh your your gas supply getting lower and lower as the dive progresses and you let that build up into a psychological fear which causes you to rush to try to get back to the mooring line and which makes you consume even more gas and starting to make poor decisions. Oh yeah, it definitely affects your decision making process. Again, we go back to, you know, panic is basically a, a lack of thought and and just inst- instinctive reaction. You know, that fight or flight is what panic is. Robert mentions um, an article in Smithsonian Magazine from a couple of uh, assistant professors of psychiatry at Wayne State University, Brando. Wayne State, our our old... Actually, I went to Wayne State for a couple of um, terms. One of our local Metro Detroit universities. But he says that... A great uh, medical college, by the way. Medical university, yeah. Fear reaction starts in the brain and spreads through the body to make adjustments for the best defense or flight reaction. As they explain, perceiving a threat stimulates a rapid-fire fear response that puts the body on high alert. And that's our brain, right, kicking in to that fight-or-flight response, which, you know, we evolved as humans, you know, to to be on land, <laughs> right? right. And, and, you know, that fear comes, and it's like, okay, am I going to, you know, fight for this food, or am I going to become food? <laughs> essentially is what's or am what's, i going to run away from fu- <laughs> this yeah, thing that wants me to be food but underwater which we've you know grown to enjoy this new place but our body and our brain really hasn't evolved in a way to control the environment that we have there right you can't mess up so badly on land that you just float up into outer space right it, you're stuck here but underwater, oh, there, there's every possible way you can go, which is only going to make that problem even worse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we, we're we humans. We're, we're land creatures, but we've uh, used technology to – technology and our – well, our brains do use technology to overcome the physical environment hazards. But, yeah, again, that's – that threat to to your life is where the panic comes from, and, that, and that's from the fear of losing your life, which is what we're looking into. He mentions that our breathing rate increases, bringing fresh oxygen and glucose into our tissues, and the bronchi in our lungs dilate to allow improved airflow. Our brain goes on high alert, and our nervous system is on a hair trigger. My ha- nervous system is on a hair trigger every day. Yours is always on a hair, hair trigger. Hair trigger. Well, that and a, a, a couple of extra coffees in the morning <laughs> puts you on the hair trigger. He mentions how all of this is just taking place automatically. 
inside of our brains. And that other parts of our brain also get involved and may temper the physiological response. Robert says that the cortex takes on the role of higher processing of the situation. In the blink of an eye, it examines the context of the situation to determine the true nature of the threat and decide on the appropriate response. If the perceived threat is not determined to be real, the hippocampus gets involved, inhibiting and depressing the fear response triggered by the amygdala. I I get the cortex is doing the reasoning, but you think of a lot of panic situations aren't real danger, but they are perceived danger. And I'm curious what it takes to override that perception. Well, that's right where he's at, too. Yeah. So, you know, like, he's, I was just going to say, for example, this isn't diving, but, you know, uh, one of the things they say if you ever encounter like a grizzly or something when you're out hiking is do not run. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, so you, but, and then they tell you the reasons why, you know, studies show that running just, they'll, the bear will catch you because he's pretty, he's faster than right. you and he can that's climb why, trees. And that's why I always just stand and fight that goddamn grizzly. <laughs> Put up your dukes is the correct answer to that. <laughs> Put up your dukes, baby. We're going at it. But, um. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious how you override that or techniques to override that. I know rationalization and reason is what it takes to override panic. But as we all, you know, he mentions that as we all learn in our basic scuba training, the increase in nitrogen partial pressure in the air we breathe has a narcotic effect that increases with depth. Just as colors fade with depth, our ability to exercise good judgment may also change and fade with depth. When we no longer perceive the real threats before us, our physiological responses may fail us, and we can make dangerous mistakes. True. I agree. So as much as we've, our our brains have evolved to handle these fearful, stressful situations to ride that edge of panic on land, underwater, everything gets compounded. The thing with the CO2 problem is it... The physiological effects are the more craving of air, of oxygen. That's the physiological effect of a CO2 level rising in your blood. And then underwater, it's, it's amplified because it happens quicker because it's not the, the percentage so much, although that's, that, that isn't the, the factor. It's the, it's the increase in the partial pressure because of the increase in the pressure around us. So that CO2 partial pressure is what we get the urge to breathe from. And as that goes up because you're breathing shallower, even though the body's response has been to open up the bronchi and the alveoli areas, you know, to increase circulation and oxygenation, it's not that you don't have enough oxygen what is happening is you're not getting rid of that CO2. And we say, that, we say this all the time because CO2 is the main threat in diving, uh, you know, besides breathing water in. But realistically, carbon dioxide buildup is the main threat in diving. In the panic situations, it just gives you that I can't breathe feeling. You right, can't and that rapid, get it. Yeah. And that rapid, shallow breathing which is is. is prevents us from really getting rid of the CO2 that we need to get rid of. 
and it, and it so it just goes up and up and up so the co2 level goes up but maybe on land it wouldn't be to dangerous levels but underwater even at 33 feet it's double it's the partial double pressure what it was, right right mm-hmm. we've had this conversation many times that you know so many you know diver fatalities and in, in major accidents that we've read about in, in these incident reports if they were on land you know, no, no it's, problem. It, it's a yeah. it's a medical issue that occurs that because they're underwater, it's a drowning fatality, right? But mm-hmm. if they were just on a mountain bike, they'd you know sit down on the trail and somebody like would help them back to right to, to safety. Get their but underwater, mm-hmm. yeah, like underwater, that CO two gets bad, and then it leads to a, a cardiac event, which leads to a drowning because mm-hmm. they're in the water and everything's amplified because of that increasing partial pressure of that gas. Yeah, I think it even more so it just leads to the panic. I mean, how many times do have we seen at the quarry, you know, people going over the deep end and you know, the deep edge there at the quarry, uh they get down, they're overweight, you know, all the stuff we talk about, being overweighted, having no technique or buoyancy control and they drop down to 130 feet nearly and uh the at that point, five times five times the partial pressure of carbon dioxide and they're working their ass off. And this is why we preach no work. You don't work hard underwater because it's a vicious cycle you'll get into with that carbon dioxide buildup. But the, the trigger of the urge to breathe comes from the carbon dioxide and they keep breathing faster and faster and they feel as if they're running out of, like there's no gas, there's no air for them. So the panic comes in real quick and what's the first thing their mind goes back to like okay i have to get out of here not not in a second or 30 seconds or a minute but right this second mask has to come off regulator is spit out of their mouth and the the surface is where they believe they'll live you know which is Generally, the exact opposite exactly. of what they should be doing. Yeah, Robert says that excess CO2 causes an increase in the blood acidity, which further fuels the breathing stimulus. Add in the breathing resistance of a regulator, especially at depth, like you were just saying, and the diver might feel air-starved, which is that situation yeah. that you're just describing, right? I would just and point out one thing, though. The, the regulators really... Uh, yes, there is resistance to just breathing without a regulator, but... Regulators supply. There isn't a regulator out there that doesn't supply more than adequate breathing gas. Correct. Right. So it's it's not that the regulators are resisting so much, although they, there is resistance. You're right. Compared Unless to- you dive a Decor 360 <laughs> Arrow Pacer. I forgot about that one. I forgot about that one. Uh you know, they, they lose the ability to think. And the only thing that, that's even going through controlling their muscles is get to the surface. Right. That's where safety is. Get me out of here right now. It completely ignoring all of the physical and physiological effects of that decision of shooting to the surface from whatever, whatever. depth they're mm-hmm. at. Right. I mean, this is a serious problem, even at... You know, thirty feet. Yeah, shooting to Let the alone surface 130 is a problem. Thirty feet. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I always bring up this because we've seen it at the quarry. I mean, 
I don't want to say a million times, but you have seen it a lot. And, and it's almost always the same thing. It's like, oh, uh, you know, the ones that, that don't kill themselves, that, that it's just an inc- you know, a scary incident to them that don't get reported. You know, this is the other thing we talk about a lot. Right, yeah. <laughs> the, the statistics are great because the vast majority don't get reported because the people happen to live. But uh, the panic due to not knowing what's going on because it was never taught. The lack of information about carbon dioxide is, puzz- you know, puzzling and troubling to me. But, but yeah, so CO2 leads to panic, the, the feeling of air starvation. It just tells you, you know, you go to that fight or flight and all other rational thoughts like calm down, fix the situation, you know, analyze really what's going on and fix the situation. And that's, again, we have this, you and I, huge, especially you, huge, huge emphasis on breathing and breath control and making sure you're getting great gas exchange in your lungs, using the full volume of your lungs when you can, you know? Right. And everybody is taught somewhere in their scuba training the stop, breathe, think, think, act, right? I mean, mean, that is a... Those are words, though, man. It, that's that's my thing. Is there's no nothing behind those words, and there's correct, not a, a lot correct. of let's go into why we're stop, think, breathe, act. Well, no stop, kidding. Breathe, like when act. you're, I mean, when you're on the bloody bay wall, the bloody and, bay and, wall, man. and you're in a hundred feet of water, mm-hmm. and and you haven't fully established mastery of buoyancy, and you have an issue, there there is no place to stop. Except for you know, a, a, you know, a thousand, you a thousand feet, a thousand feet below you, or yeah. you know whatever it is, right? I mean, yeah. so of course there's going to be that huge psychological fear. So just trying to memorize, stop what I'm doing. Well, stopping what you're doing if you don't have buoyancy, balance, and trim, that means you're plummeting to the bottom of the ocean or wherever right. you happen to be. That's the wrong way to go right now. If you are the opposite and you're in a, you know, a head up, feet down position, kicking and struggling, and you start having an issue, well, you start rising up and that gas starts expanding and now it's elevator button to the right. pen, Polaris pen, missile top, top floor. Yeah, yeah and, it's and like Zeppelin. The, that again is the wrong way to be going <laughs> right then, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Robert says that but the color of our fears, Brando, while to some extent automatic, can be shaded by factors that are under our control. Agreed. All of it's really, I mean, ultimately all of it's under our control. Uh, it's just, do we give up that control, you know, to panic? Yeah, what do we do to overcome those anxieties and overcome those fears so that they don't go over the edge of that panic, right? Well, like I say, I, I say a, a lot, if not all of it, really everything is under our control for, for the most part, uh, whether it was in the pre-dive check or whatnot. But uh, a lot of it goes back to the training, which again is under our control. We select our training, you, but you have to know what is good training. Are you, are you learning about carbon dioxide and its effect at depth? on your thinking, on your physiological urge to breathe, 
what is carbon dioxide doing and how how does increasing depth and increasing work the workload how does that translate uh, into yeah. your behavior or, or what happens to you underwater how does it affect it and how does it amplify it oh amplifies it insane yeah but, but you have to get that in your training you have to learn that in the beginning again i hearken back to you know the regular open water fast food turn them out churn them out classes i know what the you know the book says stop <laughs> stop breathe think act kind of thing but that's it that's what it says it's it doesn't really tell you how how to stop right because because the, the next sentence out of you know after stop breathe think and act is a two-hour lecture about carbon dioxide which nobody's got time for <laughs> well it should be, yeah exactly right yeah it should be a, a, a gr- you should go in depth about carbon dioxide and its effect on your body and remember and put that at the top you know all this crap on decompression sickness a it, it, the majority of the time, it's not fatal. B, it's very preventable. Very, very preventable. You know, <laughs> and and often what causes it isn't you know a uh, a lack of awareness to a dive table or a dive computer. It's a right. result of CO two that causes someone to panic and shoot to the surface. Is yeah. what caused the DCS to begin with. Agreed. Again, I, I'm always dumbfounded at the, uh, you know, DCS, 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 and then they go ahead and get rid of the tables and say just just rely on this little electronic window to tell you what to do, but you still don't really have an understanding of what's going on with your body, what's going on with your brain when when that CO two starts to to. What do rise. I do when it when it has all nines? <laughs> you need a new battery. <laughs> but yeah, again, great training would help that as as well as like if your only knowledge of sharks, you know, is when you watched Jaws as Jaws. a kid, mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna freak out when you see a shark. Well, of right? course, so, so, and that's where Robert's going here. He says, considering the five primal fears and how they might affect us on a dive into the deep blue, it's important to take steps to keep our fear in check. In some cases, controlling our fears is simply a matter of mind over matter. It begins with getting the training and knowledge that provides better insight into the true nature of threats. And then that's where he talks about shark training and shark knowledge and learning more about sharks than just, oh my God, they're eating death machines. Right. You know, so that if you see a shark on a dive, it doesn't spin you into a, a fit of panic. Well, this goes back to the knowledge is power kind of thing because knowledge, knowing what <laughs> what that threat actually is versus your mind and imagination creating. going, creating, yes, creating a panic situation for yourself out of no basis in, in reality. Right, know? like your mind just taking, taking the situation to a... An, an extreme so obnoxious right that it's never gonna go there other than in your mind yeah yeah well he says I that mean, it could go there but it would take a lot you know right, yeah, real real things happen but my gosh if you just calm down and realize what's going on use that cortex that reasoning and boom figure out the way out One way to help prepare ourselves to deal with fear in a stressful situation is to train in a matter that develops pre-programmed responses 
to stressful situations. Air sharing skills are good examples, as are weight ditching and other emergency procedures. By practicing these skills on a regular basis, they become ingrained in our procedure. Less stressful and more likely to be remembered and performed correctly when needed. Yeah, I mean, those are all great, but the only thing I really disagree with what what was just read was the weight ditching. I mean, I don't think that should be something you, that shouldn't be a response. Okay. Ditching the weights. Right. I mean, that's ditching the, your weights when you're at the surface and need to create some additional buoyancy. Agreed. Agreed. I get it. Yes. Ditching, uh, ditching your weights. It's bad news. Yeah. Your, your typical diver with, you know, two weight pockets in their BCD yanking out and dropping shooting to the surface is yeah that's a bad situation yeah that's the that's the that is the cause of the overinflation lung injury you know the lung overinflation injuries that's the cause of the dcs that's the cause of the you know all of the fatal things that could happen in diving are caused from rapid ascent uncontrolled rapid ascent especially while they're down there with plenty of gas in their tank right uh, a dive buddy right next to him, a, a whole a whole group from the dive boat all around him, <laughs> <laughs> of, of of a plethora of alternate air sources to to choose from, right? To to panic and drop weights, that is the wrong response there. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. On the surface, great place to drop the weights when somebody's struggling, but it's usually you you dropping someone else's weights off of them. When you see them struggling at the surface, right, and they're in, you know, their BCD is fully inflated, squeezing their lungs, they can't breathe, and uh, <laughs> they've got thirty-five pounds on them, five mil wetsuit. So he gives a a great example of a couple of Russian cosmonauts who were taught to deal with stressful situations with skydiving. How come uh, Russian astronauts are called cosmonauts? Our guys are called astronauts. I, I haven't a clue. You don't care. I'm, I'm sensing you don't care either. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, he, they were, but they were training how to divide their attention and deal with problem solving with unplanned situations, highly stressful situations. And one of these astronauts later <laughs> on was trapped outside of his spacecraft in space with a malfunctioning suit. Oh, Russian cosmos means space, also borrowed from Greek, blah, blah, blah. It's order, in order to distinguish them from the United States. That's what it says. Yeah, I was going to say it's because of the Cold War fight. They had to be different is what I was thinking. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. All right. Go back. Let's go back. <laughs> so Robert says, just imagine Leonov's predicament when 12 minutes into the first human spacewalk back in 1965, his suit began to stiffen as it overpressurized. In minutes, he would be unable to move his arms or legs. And with only 30 minutes of oxygen left, he would soon be in dire straits. It was a problem he had never faced before. If he couldn't sort it out, he would never re-enter the spacecraft, and the Voskhod 2 mission would end in disaster. 
Leonov took a risk and tried bleeding the oxygen out of his suit, reducing its pressure, making it more flexible, and allowing him to wriggle back through the hatch. If his timing was off, he would suffocate. But he kept his cool and managed to get back into the Voskhod before all his oxygen escaped. Got to keep your cool, man. Got to keep your cool. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, even though, like, all of, like, the skydive training that they were doing back in these days, uh, all this cosmonaut training, there wasn't an official training program of when your suit overinflates. What do you do? And you can't, (laughs) right, right? Like, that's not in, that's not one of the skills that they practiced. Yeah. Yeah, but. But what they were really practicing was dealing with psychological stressors. Right. And. That is where the selection of astronauts really, <laughs> that was one of the key characteristics. You know, do, how are they under pressure? And really, space is a lack of pressure, but how are they under the figurative pressure, you know? Yeah, the psychological stressors. He says that this uh, makes him think of a diver with a stuck buoyancy compensator inflator, free-flowing regulator, or with a hyperinflated dry suit, low on air looking like a Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloon, bobbing feet up at the surface. For <laughs> divers, practicing in practice in resolving problems underwater can have the same effect that saved Leonov. Practice in dealing with equipment problems, a flooded mask, broken fin or mast straps, a failed inflator, a free-flowing regulator, while underwater can teach us how to properly react and think under stress and to control our fear in the process. That, now, 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 how many, how much, tra- <laughs> how much training out there in uh, you know the the big box you know scuba class world do they deal with real life flooded masks and fin wow. strap problems and and a fl- inflators just taking off and inflating on their own for you to deal with? Yeah, uh, <laughs> the. The whole, you know, um, take off your mask and hand it to me, flood it yourself. Unrealistic. Just completely so unrealistic that you never, nobody's down there like, I'm going to take off my mask and, you know, put it back on. That's, that's not what happens. It gets kicked off or the mask implodes because it's busted or the strap breaks or whatever. But that's how it happens. It's unexpected. It's not asked for it's unexpected and the unexpectedness is part of the should be part of the training because that's real absolutely that is the reality of it and i mean so the training needs to change in a way that can accommodate and allow an instructor to have this ability to show it to a student in in a real way but that means the level of instructor has got to climb so high because that's really easy to kill somebody in a training situation Mm -hmm. if you don't have impeccable control of the situation right if you haven't been trained on how to how to do it correctly how to take a take a diver's mask without problems ensuing right and you're right james the the qualification of an instructor or the training involved to become an instructor would be much greater but you'd have better instructors well you would (laughs) you would i agree it's a bit of a paradox i agree that um you know just like robert mentions in this article that uh dealing with flooded masks and broken straps and failed inflators and free-flowing regulators while in a class would make 
a, a great way for students to learn to deal with these stresses and fears. However, I don't recommend most instructors out there to just start doing no. that unless they've been trained how to do what, you know, what we call critical failures. Or worse yet, James, uh, these divers who just believe they'll, they'll train themselves or the, you know, new diving buddies will train each other and we'll pull each other's masks off and rip each other's rags out of the mouth and shut each other's gas off underwater. Not a good idea. No, not at all. (laughs) Because that's not what it is. It's not about that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Taking someone's mask from them is not about, you know, trying to put them through hell. You know, it's not about abusing them or beating up on them. No, there's a there's a science, you know, and a craft to it. Mm -hmm. Now, he says on the opposite side of the training spectrum, relaxation training has also been shown to be effective in controlling fear. Simply calming the mind, getting clarity of thoughts, and controlling breathing helps us to maintain the psychological and physiological edge needed when confronted with a potential threat underwater. Applying these techniques can override the automatic psychological responses and allow us to remain calm, cool, and collected when the unexpected occurs. And this is the stuff, you know, that... You know, we've been teaching for a while that we read and, and learned about when we were talking about the Tom Mount stuff recently of how important that balance of the game is, right? I mean, you have to have the reality of shit can go wrong that'll scare the hell out of you. But if you can stay calm and control your resources, it's not as big of a deal as, as you're about to make it out to be. You got to balance that in the training. We just did the old Tom Mount and his emphasis on that mental slash psychological aspect of especially tech diving, um, the the controlling of fear by controlling your mind and your breathing. It, it all goes back to breathing too, right? Doesn't it? Yes, it's all about breathing. Yeah, I'm I mean, hoping breathing is. I mean, breathing is everything for life, mm-hmm. and it's so amplified. For a diver, especially when you start throwing in all these stressors that are going to lead to panic. If the breathing gets out of control, I mean, the one thing that you really have to control that is your breathing. Right. And and if you let that get out of control and out of routine and shorten and get shallow, well, that's going to have a chemical effect which is going to amplify all these, you know, different chemicals in your brain. Yeah, the physiological effects of high carbon dioxide just increase panic. They increase the urge to breathe, which increases the panic, that feeling of suffocation. So I'm hoping we're painting a good picture of the whole basis for the way we train and what good training, what I think good training would be, is to keep carbon dioxide down that's the whole underlying basis to to avoid panic by keeping carbon dioxide down. Right. I mean, if you want to completely rework the scuba education model, you know, the, the the first step, in my opinion, is you have a whole chapter based on you know neurochemistry, just about you know and, and what's going on. Yeah, you just need the basics too. You yeah. don't you don't need to, you know, you don't need a biochem degree or anything. You just need to know carbon dioxide 
its effects and how it's built up and what happens as you go deeper. And then it's increased effects on the human mind and body. It's, it's a two, it's a double-edged sword there. It gets, I shouldn't say double-edged sword. It's a double whammy because it affects you physiologically and it affects you psychologically, both of them. And that's where the fear comes in or, the, you know, the panic comes in. We, we start... We started this article with Robert describing a dive where he said, I slip beneath the waves into the dark abyss of the sea. And he closes this out by saying that sinking into the darkness off Westport, Massachusetts, I check my buoyancy, clear my ears, and point my dive light into the emptiness below. My buddy and I exchange okay signs and continue our descent. That's when I see it. The entire bottom of the ocean is wriggling, writhing mass of blackness, as if the entire sea floor is alive. I feel my pulse quicken, and my breathing kicks up a notch. I don't understand what I'm seeing. This is like nothing I've experienced before, and it's giving me goose flesh. Something is wrong here, and the urge to bolt to the surface, away from whatever insanity is spreading across the ocean floor, is almost overwhelming. Almost. Almost. He says, I look into my buddy's eyes, wide in astonishment, the beams of our dive lights crossing as we struggle to understand what's happening. And then I realize it's just spider crabs. Hundreds of spider crabs in an undulating tangle that spreads as far as the beams of our lights can pierce. I stop and pull myself together, willing my breathing to slow and my heart to stop racing. It's nothing to fear. It's just an amazing natural phenomenon and a fantastic dive. All right, and that's that uncontrollable fear that you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. earlier where you just manifest something right i can't fully focus on the, the the bottom it's got this weird movement clearly it's a sea monster right? <laughs> that's <laughs> the only thing it could be right or, or like you look off into the distance and the you know the viz is a little hazy you know and, and you see some shadow clearly it's, it's got to be a megalodon coming to eat me right? uh, it could be aliens I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. (laughs) But it it could be aliens, (laughs) right? And and that is so much an issue that I I would say divers of all levels of experience and levels of of time as certified divers can still experience. You know, something's not going right. You get a little bit overwhelmed. And and literally, man, it's a little bit of a change in your brain chemistry, right, can start, you know, creating these different brain chemicals that that take take you off on a a different way of thinking. Especially if you've uh, dropped acid or something. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what could be going on there? Well, absolutely. That's just going to, you know, amplify it even more, which is why uh, nobody recommends dropping acid before you dive. <laughs> Do not. I by wait no till means. The, wait for the full moon party when the diving's <laughs> over. You're doing the full moon party. You got a couple days to recover. Have some of those magic mushrooms, whatever. The, the uh, yeah. I am not recommending taking psych- psych- psychogenic, hallucinogenic uh, substances and diving. 
but in, in many ways like your body can create all these different you know endorphins and dopamine and oh yeah norepinephrine chemical i mean yeah, the, the, those chemicals are in your brain already right and and if that co2 builds up and, and you start letting that brain go wild it, in ways it can be your decision making can be like you're high on something. Oh yeah, you you are not basing your decisions on rational thinking. You're basing them on <laughs> purely instinctive uh, effects of those chemicals you just talked about rushing into your brain. The different chemicals uh, that are shot into your body through your bloodstream when panic sets in. It alters Robert, your thinking. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it alters your thinking is what it does. Yeah. Robert closes out by saying, perhaps the best way to manage fear is to simply keep diving and keep learning. The more experience we have in the underwater realm, the more natural it becomes and the less stressful it is when unusual or unexpected events occur. And by constantly training and learning more about ourselves, the underwater environment and specialized diving techniques, we become better prepared to safely explore the underwater realm. And I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, what sums it all best is that continued quest for learning. Yeah, the thinking is the, the killer of fear. Rational thought, reasoning, uh, knowledge in other words knowledge kills fear there used to be an old thing called fear is the mind killer well you can reverse it as as well i mean the fear, mind killer's fear uh no uh <laughs> <laughs> fear is the mind killer but your mind can be the fear killer wait or did you mean Yes, exactly. No, I'm just, on a serious, I'm trying to get across, like, yes, fear makes you lose your mind. But it works the other way, too. Your mind can make you lose your fear. There you go. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, having a, having a grasp of where you are in, in time, space, and reality Right. I'm, I'm, I'm at this moment, at this depth, with this amount of gas. Right. I know where I'm at. I know my resources. I know who's with me, what we need to get home. Right. And if you need mm -hmm. X to get home and you have X plus 100, get control of the breathing mm -hmm. and manage the dive to get home safely. Absolutely. And that, uh, again, always goes back to. Breathing, buoyancy control, trim, proper technique, not working, keeping the CO2 down. Yeah, manage the CO2. Mm -hmm. Make make the ascent the way you need to make the ascent. I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing about diving is no matter what happens and no matter how bad it gets, you still have to finish the dive. There's no, there's no yes. bailing out and just <laughs> shooting to the surface. That's, that's going to make it worse. And expediting that finish, in other words, bolting to the surface, that's not really a good way to finish. That's oh, you'll you'll finish it. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, everybody finishes. <laughs> yeah, well. you'll be finished for sure. 
Anyway, yeah, I mean, all, all those good things. I love when we get an article that kind of just um, reinforces everything we've we've kind of we back everything that we've um, been trying to produce out of our students. With our yeah, students. for for nearly twenty years, right? I mean, here this article, you know, a couple of years ago, even, you know, was talking about the value of having critical failures in your training, of not yeah. just getting on your knees and removing and replacing a mask, and that's or mastery, e or even yeah. or even trying to stay neutrally buoyant and removing and replacing your mask, but the value of dealing with a lost mask or a broken strap. Or right. a runaway inflator, lost real, fan, real yeah. time. Yeah, I mean those things happen. Absolutely, they happen. You see them. I mean, most of them have happened to me. It it happens. So, it, a little more realistic training would be helpful. Yeah, I mean all these things that we say, we we just seem to say the same thing a lot when we get an article like this. It's um, but it it really is enlightening to me to see other people. I mean, this stuff was was being said years ago, years ago. So not everything we're saying is nothing new. So yeah, Brando, so for the divers out there uh, who do have, you know, concerns of anxiety in the water, practicing your skills. Practice the right skills, though. It's not, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. You have to be practicing realistic skills and in order to do that, really, you need to be taught correctly, right? You need to be taught a realistic way to go out and train. That's what, I mean, that was a big emphasis in the, in the old fun, fundamentals class was we are giving you the tools to go train yourself. There's no way you're going to pass this class, 99% of the people. No way you're going to pass this class in three days. But you'll have the tools to go out there and get yourself to a point where you can pass it and then get go further in your diving career like you want to. Or not. You don't even yeah, have but, to go further, right? Well, yeah, because, I mean, I mean, you need to learn it first. Right. And then you got to practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it conceivably forever. Well, and that's never, exactly right. You, you never stop. You know, so the whole notion of you see it one time over a weekend – and you've learned it and you have it is crazy, especially in something like scuba diving. Yeah. Well, that again, I threw out that term mastery there because the standards use it so much must demonstrate mastery. But they don't go too much into what is mastery other than do, they can do it for me without without, a, you know, any difficulty for that level of diving. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, hey. That's a little bit about avoiding panic, overcoming anxiety and fears, confidence. dealing with stress and diving. Competence, confidence, comfort. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The color of fear. What is the color of your fear? Well, well, what color did he say was the fear? I didn't. I always thought it was yellow, boy. You're yellow. It was the gray matter. Was the color gray of the matter? Deal with, the color uh, dealing with the okay. gray matter of the brain, oh, okay, and uh, and diving into the deep blue. Those were hers colors. Okay, I like that, it. That was that was his colors, but I, good. I think mine's a little bit more of a of a plaid magenta. -y, uh, oh, yeah. I like mauve for my fear. 
Mauve. There you go, everybody. <laughs> what is the color of your fear? Send us a little message and let us know what colors you see when you're about to enter the edge of panic. Jaws. When you're you're going to enter the ocean with after you just watched Jaws. I did not go skinny dipping at night in the ocean for for weeks, a couple of minutes. Well, <laughs> if a, if a girl runs into the ocean, I, I, here, here's the scenario: you just saw Jaws. Just and saw it. You, you now just you're saw, on the beach. You just saw Chris, You just saw the opening scene with Chrissy getting yes. ripped, ripped to pieces. <laughs> and, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and you find yourself on a beach with this this girl. You're having a nice little snack, maybe a glass of wine or two, and she's like, and you're you're alone, and the sun's going down, and she says, "Let's go skinny dipping," and you just saw Josh. She didn't see it obviously because she's just heading out there and you see that buoy out there right and she was like let's swim to the buoy rips off her clothes and you, are you going to be like no i can't do this no you're gonna as at least a guy we're like who cares are you kidding i'm already at the buoy exactly so what i'm getting at <laughs> I, I beat her out there I'm, I'm waiting for her to get there there is one thing that overrides fear Shark, the sharks thing. are cir- sharks are circling the buoy on my way out. I, I don't care. Yeah. I'm going. It's one thing that overrides fear, and you know what will help you override that fear? If that thing that is overriding it is very well manscaped. That's right. Because it gives you confidence. It, it absolutely does. Don't forget, go to manscaped.com, get 20% off and free shipping. Use the code TGDP at Manscaped. Perfect. Your balls will thank you. <laughs> Perfect. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Same dive time, same bottom time, same Buhlman algorithm. What you got there? I'm just reading the difference between Cosmo and Astro. Oh. Sorry. Sorry, dude. I I had to satisfy my own curiosity.